this is Ann Robertson, and today was my last Sunday as the pastor of the United Methodist Church of Westford, and this was the last sermon this Easter Sunday. The sermon that I preached was not a new one, given the fact that I'm moving the day after tomorrow and all the emotions tied up in being my last Sunday and saying goodbye to some very wonderful people. Uh, writing a new sermon was not in the cards, but the United Methodist Church of Westford had not yet heard this one. Uh, this was the sermon actually that kicked off my very first book, Blowing the Lid Off the God Box. I tell about that in the book. I preached the sermon first uh, where I wrote it down in Florida in 1998, preached it for Easter Sunday there, and it was in the wake of that sermon that the receptionist of the church there had a dream and called me up practically in the middle of the night and said, I had this dream, and you have to write a book, and it's called Blowing the Lid Off the God Box, and I've been up all night drawing the cover art. And that was the genesis of my first book, although it took a number of years after that to actually get it written and a few more years to get it published. But this is the sermon that started it all. Um, in a slightly different form, you'll see the text is a little bit different than what I preached as I always adapt things at least a little bit when I preach them. But this is The Living Christ. It was also published in Zion's Herald magazine. Um, so The Living Christ, don't put God in a box. One more note about this morning. We didn't, you won't hear the gospel reading here. It was read by the liturgist earlier in the service. Uh, the gospel reading came from the Gospel of Mark at the end, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. I read it all here in an introduction and I put it in and tried to record it all and then I got the blue screen of death and had to shut everything down. So I'm not going to read it again. I will let you read it. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, uh, which ends at the point that the Gospel of Mark ends in the oldest records with the women leaving the tomb afraid. So I'm going to start off my last sermon with a quiz. <laughs> I want you to identify what piece of literature this line comes from. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story that I am going to relate. Christmas Carol, a well-read congregation. <laughs> I like it. Good old Dickens. It's a few months off, Christmas, Easter. Um, but in the Dickens story, Scrooge experiences a spiritual resurrection as a gift from his friend Jacob Marley who returns from the dead as a ghost and warns him to change his miserly ways. And as I thought about the Easter story, the opening lines of Dickens seem to introduce the story just about as well as anything else. Because Jesus, like old Marley, was dead as a doornail. And that must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come from the story that we relate on Easter morning. There's mu nothing much to tell on Easter unless Jesus is completely and totally dead to begin with. The women who came to Jesus' tomb on Easter morning knew that Jesus was dead. They were there at the crucifixion from beginning to end. They saw him die. They saw him taken down limp, limp from the cross and followed as he was taken and placed in a tomb. 
Now, when you watch somebody executed and see that person taken to a grave and buried, you make certain assumptions and you come away with certain expectations. And foremost amongst those assumptions and expectations is that if you return to the grave in a couple of days, the body's still going to be there. Maybe it's going to be in a little worse shape than when you last saw it, especially if it hasn't been embalmed, but it'll still be there and it'll still be dead. That's what Scrooge expected of Marley, and that's what the women expected when they came to the tomb of Jesus that Easter Sunday morning. And we can hardly fault them for it. It's a basic law of physics. Bodies at rest remain at rest. And it's hard to get more at rest, at least in a physical sense, than being dead. The only concern the women had that morning was how they were going to move the big, huge rock that had been used to seal off the tomb. As they approached, they discovered that someone had taken care of the rock for them, but they still generally expected that the body of Jesus would be inside, and they entered to do what they had come to do, to anoint Jesus' body with burial spices and to pay their last respects. But when they got inside, things were not what they had expected. No dead body, just an angel with the strange news that Jesus was alive and gone on ahead of them into Galilee? How do the women respond? If you'll excuse the pun, they were scared stiff. Verse 8 is how the oldest manuscripts of the book of Mark end. They discover Jesus is not in the tomb, and they are afraid. No dancing in the streets, no celebration of resurrection, no sightings of Jesus. Fear. Just when everybody thought they knew what had happened, something has thrown a wrench into the works. Now, that's not to say that the women and the other disciples weren't devastated by Jesus' death or that they wouldn't eventually be overjoyed at seeing him and having him back among them. But the fear of the women when Jesus is not where he's supposed to be is typical of our response to the unexpected and the unknown. We may not like the situation in which we find ourselves, but at least if it'll stay the same, we can learn how to live with it. When we know what to expect, we can plan and have some sort of stabilizing routine in our lives. If there's one thing that was true about Jesus from the day of his birth to the day of his ascension into heaven, it's that you could expect the unexpected from Jesus. Nobody expected the Messiah to come as a baby in a manger, born to a poor carpenter family in Nazareth. The people were expecting something much more grand and impressive than that. At the age of 12, his parents didn't expect to find their son, who they thought was lost, perfectly at home, teaching in the temple. Throughout Jesus' ministry, people are surprised to see the kinds of people that Jesus chooses to associate with. They didn't understand why he broke Jewish law. The disciples didn't understand why he was talking to a Samaritan woman. And finally, the whole city of Jerusalem turns on him because he refuses their expectations to be an earthly king who would overthrow the Romans. Any Jewish scholar could tell you that the Messiah would not and could not be crucified. And even the simplest child could tell you that dead bodies sealed in tombs don't get up and go anywhere. Sure, Jesus had raised a few, but they'd done it only with Jesus' assistance, and he was alive at the time. 
They were raised by an outside power. But even in death, Jesus stubbornly refused to do what all convention and protocol said he should do, namely to stay dead. He'd been that way in life, and death was no different. Imagine raising Jesus, not from the dead, but as a child. I'm sure Mary must have had gray hair very early on. And as we sit here on this Easter morning, some 2,000 years later, I'd like us to think about the ways that we are like those women who come to the tomb, or for that matter, for any of the people who found themselves puzzled, offended, scandalized, and frightened by the unexpected Jesus. Scripture tells us that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A dead God is not a problem. A dead God is predictable, and we can come to reverence the memory and anoint the body without having anything disrupt our plans. But a living God is something else entirely. The women were afraid, and so often are we. One of the primary ways that I think we fall into sin is by trying to mold God into a God that will meet our expectations. We want to have God in an image that we're comfortable with and to put God in a tomb-like box where God can be examined, controlled, and contained. We tend to feel much more at ease when we're sure exactly how God thinks about every issue, when we know exactly how God's going to act in every circumstance, and when we can find that absolute boundary for who's going to heaven and who's going to hell and in and out and all of that. We're often most comfortable when we can keep our religion in church, go there when we want to pay our respects, and be reasonably sure that God is not going to leave that place and go messing up our day-to-day -day lives. We can come to the cross, we can weep at the feet of Jesus and feel righteous. But before we leave, we want to make sure he is uh, nailed up there, isn't he? I mean, he's not going to be getting down again, is he? I can just put this behind me and get on with my life and the rest of the week, can't I? Most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, are very uncomfortable with a Jesus who's missing from the tomb, a Jesus who is not where he's supposed to be. And yet it's the job of the church, and therefore my job, to instill in you some of that same sense of uncertainty that the women felt that Easter morning. Did you come here today to pay your respects to a man who died 2,000 years ago? Did you come thinking you got Jesus all figured out, that you can spot him anywhere because you're sure what he will and won't do, who he will and won't associate with? Well, he's not here. He's risen and gone ahead of you to Galilee. And chances are he's not doing the things you expect or is even in a form that you'd immediately recognize. Even Jesus' closest disciples had trouble recognizing Jesus after the resurrection. We see it in account after account after account. Mary Magdalene thinks he's the gardener. The guys on the road to Emmaus go all the way up there and haven't got a clue who they're walking with. The news of Easter morning is grand and glorious news. But it's unsettling news because with Jesus now alive, we never know where he's going to pop up or what he's going to be doing next. When we're primed to expect him to be the conquering savior, he lets himself get crucified. 
When we expect him to lay low in the grave, he's resurrected without a soul there to witness the fanfare. When we expect him to act with dignity and decorum, he charges through the temple like a madman, overturning tables and calling people thieves. When we expect him to cast judgment, he says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. When we expect him to approve and congratulate the righteous, he calls them vipers and unwashed tombs. Jesus is alive. We serve a living God, a dynamic God, and an unexpected God. If you can figure out all the ways of God, then your God is way too small. The God of the Bible is vast beyond our comprehension. Everything that a human being can say or think about God is at the very best incomplete. You can take the greatest scholar that's ever lived and the very wisest, most profound thing that person has ever said, and at best, it's incomplete and probably at least partially wrong. God is too big to fit in our brain, and amazing an organ as it is. As much as we might like to, we're not going to completely figure God out, or that makes us God and God some subset of our mind. Just before Easter a number of years back, there was this big scandal down in New Jersey when a church there was putting on a passion play. The show ran for quite a while, and every other night, the man who portrayed Jesus was played by a black man. And people were scandalized about that. It wasn't what they were used to. It wasn't what they expected. Just when people thought they had got all figured out, here came somebody to upset the apple cart. As best we know, Jesus wasn't black. We can be even more certain that he wasn't white with golden flowing hair, like most of the pictures that we often have in churches. I have a colleague who calls that image of Christ the the Olaf Jesus because he looks so Scandinavian. (laughs) We can be even, he was a Jew from Northern Palestine. Most probably he had olive skin. If we're coming to pay our respects to a dead body, then I suppose we have to limit our portrayals of Jesus to olive skinned actors. But if we worship the Jesus who rose from the dead, the living Christ, Jesus could be in any form at all. When we serve a living Christ, we should expect to see Jesus in unexpected forms and in unexpected places. Would Jesus shun the form of a black man or a transient or a woman? New Jersey hasn't seen scandal till somebody puts a woman in that role. (laughs) In his life on earth, Jesus was always confusing and scandalizing somebody by doing or not doing something that didn't fit in that God box that had been built for him. If you're sure you know what God thinks about every issue, be very careful. God may scandalize you by doing something you don't expect. God might decide to offer mercy to somebody that you don't think ought to get it. Jesus may appear in the form of somebody that you don't like all that much or declare some person clean and holy that you are absolutely sure is unclean and unholy. God doesn't have to stay inside of anybody's box, even if the box is Bible-shaped. God doesn't care whether you're liberal or conservative. 
God has been known to take the sacred cows of both sides and turn them, as Billy Sim said, into gourmet burgers. There is nothing more upsetting than a God who will not stay where you put him, a Jesus who won't stay dead, even when you seal him in the tomb and you post a guard at the entrance. Jesus Christ lives and loves, eats with sinners, breaks religious law, and can no more be contained and controlled than the wind. He is not here. He is risen. He lives. Do you understand what that means? So they went out and they fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had filled them. The Easter message is filled both with fear and delight, terror and amazement. To know that Jesus is alive is to know that Jesus is still in the business of doing the unexpected. And there's delight in that. God has some delightful surprises in store for us. With a living Christ, church should never, ever, ever be boring. While we model the eternal nature of God with traditions that are passed through the ages, we should also model the unexpectedness of God and learn to see God in a variety of forms and styles. We can experience God in many different ways. And if we don't, chances are we've missed many of God's appearings. But to be excited and thrilled by the newness of the Easter message, the message that he is not dead, but is risen, the message that we serve a living Christ, we have to abandon that notion that we have God all figured out. We've got to take our personal or denominational or church God box and blow off that lid. We have to roll away the stone from the tomb. To every person in every age, Jesus will continue to appear in unexpected ways, in ways that seem to us at least to be scandal, to be heresy, even damnable. It certainly did to the Pharisees, and it got Jesus crucified. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that we are so different. God is bigger than us. God is bigger than we can comprehend. We can't ever know for certain what shape God's love is going to take, even from one minute to the next. Jesus was dead as a doornail, but that was only the beginning of the story. The wonderful news of Easter is that Jesus lives, even now, He lives among us. We won't ever be absolutely sure where the living Jesus will show up. I kind of hope he moves around and appears in some unexpected places just to remind everyone of that. We can't ever be sure where Jesus will lead us. But if you're up for the adventure, if you're brave enough to face the fact that the tomb is in fact empty, then come on, let the grave clothes be, He's risen and he's gone on ahead of us to Galilee. He's gone on ahead of me to Beacon Street. He's gone on ahead of each of you to a variety of places. Maybe he's in that place still calling to you now, saying, oh, over here, over here. Are you ready? I'm here. Will you come and meet me here? Can you and will you serve the living Christ? Amen. Okay, so it's really kind of weird to think that today was my last Sunday as the pastor of a local church. I begin now as the executive director of Massachusetts Bible Society. 
But I'm still going to keep up with the sermon podcast. I'm still going to be doing a lot of preaching. That's a gift that God has given to me, and I'm still going to be doing it. It, As I think I mentioned last week, it will not always be a new sermon. Uh, if, if it's new to audio, then I'll put it up as a podcast. And on other weeks, I'll probably go back to other sermons that have never been recorded and maybe just preach to the microphone in my study and get the recordings up and put those out. But the sermon podcast is going to continue, as is Spirit Walkers. And I invite you all to continue to drop me a line from time to time and let me know who you are and I'm glad to meet people in cyberspace. Also, uh, Spirit Walkers, my weekly devotion, will continue. It's going to still be weekly. Uh, It might change from being Saturday to being another day. I have yet to figure out exactly what my new schedule is going to look like. But I'm excited about the new position, although sad to leave some wonderful people here at the church. But the preaching will go on, and I hope you'll stay with me and let me know what you think from time to time. Uh, Be sure to visit my website at www.annrobertson.com or drop me an email at ann at annrobertson.com. Thanks a lot.